Well, I want you to take your Bible this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter number 4. <coughs> Gospel of Mark chapter number 4 this morning. It is good to be here. We're excited about what the Lord has in store for us in days to come. And uh, I want you to be back tonight. Uh, have a message the Lord's laid on my heart, and I, I hope it will be a blessing to you. I think it will. I think it's something we all need to be reminded about and encouraged about. And so I want to encourage you to be back tonight for the evening service. Also, uh, the uh, marriage retreat, I told my wife, I said, we've been married 31 years and we've never been to a marriage retreat. We won't even know what to do. <laughs> so we're going to learn, all right? And, uh, you know, uh, tighten the knot. Some of you ladies are interested in learning how to do that, you know, the Tighten it real tight. A few times you want to do that. Uh, well, I don't think that's exactly what it's about, but uh, we'll have a great time, and that's uh, June the 29th to July the 1st. Information is on the back table back there. I want you to encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. Well, Mark chapter number 4 this morning, if you found your place and you're physically able, I ask you to stand to your feet out of honor and reverence to the Word of God as we read our Scripture text. Mark chapter number 4, <coughs> verse number 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, that is Jesus speaking to his disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you again for the wonderful privilege to be gathered in your house with your people. Thank you for these who have turned aside from the busyness of life and uh, allowed you to have a part in their life. They've come this morning to hear from you. Lord, I pray that in these next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, for those that may be here this morning who do not know for sure that heaven is their home, I pray that they'd get that settled today before it's everlasting too late. For Christians who are here who need to be encouraged and strengthened and helped, I pray that you might meet the need of their life this morning. Most of all, would you give us attentive ears and receptive hearts as your word goes forth, and may we respond in obedience to your voice. Well, thank you for what you do, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our text for today tells us of a very familiar story uh, in the life of Christ. On this occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ sets sail with his disciples on their journey as they uh, sail across the sea, they encounter a great storm. If we wanted to outline our text this morning, we would note in verse number 35 and 36, there is a sailing ship. The day has been busy and many things have happened. And so uh, they, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They all get on board the ship and they set sail. Seems like things are normal. Everything is just average and, and just another trip across the Sea of Galilee. But in verse number 37, 
they encounter a severe storm. Uh, the Bible simply says there grows a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a boat in the water is good. Water in the boat is not good. And the ship is almost full. The waves are crashing. Uh, this, is, this is not just a little tempest. This is not just a strong breeze. This is a severe storm that has placed them literally in jeopardy. But notice in verse number 38, there is a sleeping Savior. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Have you ever noticed that the things that seem to alarm you do not disturb him? He's got everything under control. He's resting. He's taking his rest. He's, he's asleep. My wife will often ask me. She'll say, how is it that you can sleep so easily? I can turn out the light and be asleep before it's dark. <laughs> she says, it takes me a while to unwind. I said, I just don't get wound up. <laughs> then you don't have to waste all that time unwinding. She asked me one time, she said, how do you do that? I said, it's a clear conscience. You should try it sometime. <laughs> Like I said, we probably need a marriage retreat, right? <laughs> uh, she, she knows take everything I say with a grain of salt. And if you're going to be here very long, you're going to have to understand that I have a sense of humor. And uh, it, it might not be like your sense of humor, but it's humorous to me. And so I just say sometimes whatever comes to my mind. And, and so I told her that. But here's the Savior. He's asleep. I think we could relate to that in our life. Can we not? It seems like we're going through something very difficult. And it just seems like it that the Lord doesn't care. I mean, that's exactly what they're going to ask him. Carest thou not that we perish? So there's a sleeping Savior. And of course, there are stressed saints. These disciples are, are in an uproar. They wake him up. Carest thou not that we perish? Lord, we're going to die. Don't you even care? Aren't you even concerned? But then notice there comes a speaking sovereign. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. If you will ever notice as you study scripture, you will find that every time the Lord speaks to nature, nature always immediately obeys. It's only when God speaks to his creatures that he has trouble with disobedience. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be as obedient to the Lord as nature is to its creator? And then notice, here's where I'm interested this morning. I'm interested in verse number 40. Now there is a searching statement. The Lord asked them in verse number 40, he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? You know, we live in a world that is consumed with fear. It's, it seems to me that the majority of my life, I've been surrounded by a world that is fearful of something. I mean, I remember back as far as the turn of the century. That sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? It really wasn't, you know, what, 23 years ago, turn of the century. Remember 1999, everybody was warning us about Y2K. 
I mean, you better stock up on everything. Your computer's going to die. Your car won't start. We're all going to starve to death. There'll be mass chaos, riots in the street. Banking system's going to collapse. I mean, you would have thought it was the end of the world. And guess what? December 31st passed, January 1st passed, and nothing happened. <laughs> Except now people didn't have to buy toilet paper for, you know, four years because they had to <laughs> stockpile. I mean, it was crazy. We're, we're, uh, everybody's consumed by fear. I mean, look at just this latest incident with, with all the, the COVID, whatever you, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. People consumed by fear. Nobody go out of their house. Nobody, you know, see all these stickers on the floor. Stay this far away from somebody else. I mean, I, I literally would go out to walk in the outside, fresh air, sunshine, thinking that's going to be good for my health. I'm walking down the sidewalk. Here comes somebody. They see me. They cross the street. I mean, walk out in the middle of the street. Why? They don't want to be, you know what? It's fear. And we live in a world that is consumed with fear. You turn on television today and you'll hear somebody promoting fear. You turn on the radio, you'll hear somebody promoting fear. You, turn, you open a book or a magazine, you'll hear somebody trying to get you to be fearful. And Jesus' question to his disciples is this. Why are ye so fearful? Now, I think if we study the text, if we examine our passage of Scripture this morning, I think we can see some reasons why they were fearful. And by the way, just as they were fearful in their situation, we're often fearful in our situation. And the reason we are fearful is the same reasons that they were fearful. Human nature doesn't change. It's always the same. Now, let's examine. Let's see if we can discover why they were fearful and why many times... You and I allow our lives to be consumed by fear. Number one, they were unmindful of his promise. Now look at verse number 35. The same day when the evil is come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. You realize that if, if they were going to the other side, they could not sink in the middle. I mean, he said, let's go to the other side. That meant he was going to the other side. He invited them to come with him. That meant if he was going to arrive on the other side, they had to arrive with him. They're all in the same boat. They're traveling together. Here's what happened. In the midst of their crisis, they simply forgot his words. Could I say that same thing happens to you and I? We're sailing along on life's sea and things seem to be going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm arises. A crisis comes. It may be a, a, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is a diagnosis. And all of a sudden, life goes into a tailspin. It may be that all of a sudden, financially, you get hit with some crisis. Maybe you lose your job or maybe a job opportunity falls through or maybe you have a family uh, problem that arises seemingly out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we begin to fall apart. We get very fearful because we have simply forgotten what God has said. Sometimes we're unmindful of the promise of redemption. You know, I meet a lot of people, I've met a lot of people in my life who are simply afraid of dying. Now, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not, you know, I'm not making any plans I, you know, I'm not, I don't have a death wish. I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm not afraid of it. We, we lived in Japan for a number of years. 
We were missionaries there. We were in the big Colbe earthquake of what was it, 97, 98, somewhere in that, that time frame. And uh, literally, we were five miles from the epicenter. Uh, I think 5,000 people were slain. Um, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of homes were destroyed and buildings destroyed. And we went to our neighbor's house, and our neighbor, our Japanese neighbor, they had three children in their 20s, mom and dad, three children in their 20s, and everybody was sleeping in the living room on the floor. You know, to me, that makes no sense. You got comfortable beds. You don't have to be with anybody else. You can just like go to a room and, and go to, they're all sleeping. They're so fearful. We're having aftershocks every day. And I told my wife, I said, we need to have an earthquake party. She said, what? I said, earthquake, you never heard of an earthquake party? I said, it's where when you have a big earthquake, you always make a chocolate cake. And then you get the Uno cards and you go visit the neighbor and you play Uno and eat chocolate cake. I've never heard it. Somebody starts everything. Somebody has to do it the first time, right? <laughs> so now if you ever have an earthquake, you'll know what to do. An earthquake party, all right? Chocolate cake, Uno cards. So we go to their house. We, we ring the bell. They, they invite us in. They said, where are you here? I said, we're here for an earthquake party. What's that? We've never heard of that. Well, uh, my wife hadn't either until I told her about it. So I said, earthquake party. She said, what do you do? We eat chocolate cake and we play Uno. And so we begin to teach them. Now, this is interesting. Here's a couple of English speakers Taking Japanese speakers about a game with a Spanish name. <laughs> you talk about multilingual. We were we were in it, man. And eating chocolate cake and playing Uno and and finally, I, I didn't speak real good Japanese at the time, and my wife spoke less than I did, and, and the man and the wife, the husband and wife, father and mother, they didn't speak hardly any English, and the children were about as good in English as I was in Japanese, so it was, we would kind of multi-translate for each other and try to figure out. And the father said something, and I didn't understand what he said. And so I asked the daughter, I said, what, what is your dad trying to, trying to tell me? And she said, he wants to know why you're not afraid. I said, well, it's just like this. I know that I belong to the Lord. And if God is not ready for me to go to eternity, it wouldn't matter. Earthquake could happen right under my feet and God would protect me. However, if it is my time to go and an earthquake happens and I slip out of this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm a winner Either way, if I go or if I stay. I mean, that's a wonderful life, is it not? Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Can I say, you don't have to be fearful about death, about the future. If you know that Christ is your Savior because you have his promise that you have eternal life. You say, well, Brother Bertram, what if I sin? Well, I'm glad not only do we not have to be unmindful about his promise of redemption, we don't have to be unmindful about his promise of restoration. You say, what if I sin? What if I mess up? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You realize that you can come to God today as his child and he'll give you a clean slate and you can start over again. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's not one of us in this room from myself to the uh, furthest one away from the pulpit. There's not one of us who has not messed up since we have been born again. Why, we're sinners. It just happens. That's just our nature. As much as we fight against it, as much as we try, somewhere along the line we slip up and we mess up. But here's a wonderful thing. We have a Savior 
who not only forgave us when he saved us, but he continually forgives us as we come to him and confess our sin. And he starts us over with a clean slate. You say, well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know that my sins are forgiven. But you know, I just don't think I can make it through. Oh, you're unmindful of his promise of a resource to see you through. What is that resource? My grace is sufficient for thee. Can I say no matter what you may be facing, no matter what trial, no matter what ordeal, I want to promise you this morning that if you will open up this book and you will be mindful of his promises, you don't have to be afraid. You can sail through the severest of storms with peace in your heart, knowing that his word is true. Well, not only were they unmindful of his promise, secondly, they were unconsidering of his power. Now here they are, they're in this storm. And they begin to fall apart. They begin to be fearful because they forgot about the power that God had who was on board their ship with them in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, if we were to take time, we could go back and see what they have experienced. Just here in the Gospel of Mark, in these opening chapters, they have seen that Christ had the power over demons. Chapter 1 and verse number 25, he cast out demons and uh, had power over them. Chapter 1 and verse number 31, he showed that he had power over disease as he healed Peter's wife's mother. <coughs> in chapter 1 and verse number 42, he showed that he had power over defilement as there was a man who was afflicted by leprosy and the Lord cleansed him and made him whole. In chapter 2 and verse number 12, he proved that he had power over disability. There was a man who was afflicted by palsy and he was made whole again. In chapter 3 and verse number 5, there was a man who, who was afflicted with a deformity, had a withered hand and the Lord touched his hand and his hand became whole and, and right again. I mean, there was no problem that they would encounter. There was no situation that they would encounter. There was no circumstance that they would come across that Jesus was not able to overcome overcome and give the victory and they forgot that this storm is just another situation that the one who had the power over all of these things lay in their vessel and he had the power to see them through could I say to you that's what happens to us many times we become forgetful about what God has done we forget how we have seen his power we have seen him save souls we have seen him salvage lives we have seen him strengthen bodies we have seen him send answers to prayer I remember that earthquake happened in Japan and uh, you know I'm not much of a worrier I, I just figure everything will work out. My wife will say, well, you know, you got it. I say, you realize nobody gets out alive. I mean, we all die eventually. You're going to die of old age or you're going to die young. You're going to die of sickness or you're going to die healthy. You know, I mean, everybody goes some way. So why stress out about it? So we're there. We have this big earthquake. And of course, all the stores are closed. We can't travel. We can't. And I didn't think too much about it. You know, it's no big deal. And, uh, but we had two, two younger kids. And my wife says, well, they need milk. Well, we can't get milk. That's okay. You know? And she began to describe to me the horrors of life without milk. I, I didn't know. You know, their bones are not going to grow. They're all going to be, you know, like jellyfish or something. Or I didn't understand what all she's saying. It's just... And I, I'm, I'm like stressing out now. I mean, I wasn't stressed before, but her stress has passed on to me. And I'm thinking, man, my, my kids are in dire straits. What am I going to do? And I thought, here's what I'm going to do. 
You know, I know the answer is if I can call grandpa, right? I mean, they're my kids, but they're his grandkids. And they're called grandkids for a reason. Grand is better than just kid, right? Grand kid. And it just gets better. Great grand. I'm looking forward to that stage now. I mean, it gets better and better. And uh, you know what grandkids are? They're your reward for not killing your kids when you thought about it. So, so anyway, I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking if I can call grandpa and I could tell him, you know, your grandkids are going to grow up to be jellyfish and won't have any bones or whatever. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll figure out a way to get the answer to him. And, uh, and so I was playing, but you know, we're in Japan, he's in Virginia. That's, you know, 14 hours difference. And so you don't want to wake him up. You know, you got to find the right time. So I had to try to figure the time slot. Well, while I was trying to figure out what time to call, our, our doorbell rang. I went to the door at the gate and there was a, there was a, the mail lady was there. She said, I have a package for you. And I got this package and I opened it up. And in this package was a note from a church in the United States. They said, we know you had an earthquake. We know you probably can't use anything, but we just thought we'd put together a box and send it to you. And in that box, you will not believe what was in there. There was boxes of powdered milk. You say, how did that happen? Because long before I knew that my kids needed milk, he knew that they needed milk. He said, my grace is sufficient. I'll reach out and touch the heart of somebody here that doesn't even know where, what, what the situation is exactly. I'll put in their heart what to put in the box. I'll send the box to you. I'll make it arrive just when you need it. Can I say God's grace is sufficient? He can answer every situation. He's the solution. And many times our problem is we are just unmindful of his power. We forget the God that we serve who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Here's the good news. You have a God who's bigger than your imagination. You can imagine the greatest, the, the, the wildest dream that you can ever imagine. And God is able to do more than that. Don't be unmindful of his power. Don't uh, be unmindful of his promise. I've got to hurry this morning. They, they, they were fearful. They were unmindful of his promise. They were unconsidering of his power. Number three, they were unappreciative of his presence. Look at verse number 36. When they had sent the multitude away, they took him even as he was in the ship. So when the ship gets ready to set sail, Jesus is in the boat. Verse number 38, uh, they're, they're in this storm, and he was in the hinder part of the ship. You realize he hasn't bailed out. He hasn't left them. As they are sailing, they have the presence of the very Son of God with them every way, every part of the journey. Now, now, he was very interested in them. He had chosen them in chapter 3 and verses 13 through 19. He had cared for them. He was now conducting them across this journey. He was close to them and he was capable of helping them. All they had to do is realize that Jesus is here. Can I say sometimes that's exactly what happens to us? 
we get fearful because somehow or another we think that God has stepped back and caused us to go through this problem alone. That somehow or another, you know, he's like those people we meet. You've met them. I've met them. They've said to me, they pat me on the back, said, Preacher, we're with you through thick and thin. And then when things got thick, they thinned out and disappeared. I was looking for them, but I couldn't find them. Probably FBI, CIA was looking for them too, and they couldn't find them either. I mean, they, they had gone somewhere, and you've had that experience, haven't you? But can I say this? The Lord has never backed out. The Lord has never abandoned us, and the Lord will never. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know that's a unique promise in the Bible. It's the only promise you can read forwards and backwards, and it still makes sense. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. You say, why in the world is that promise that way? Because sometimes you and I get in a storm and we get so confused, we don't know if we're coming or going. I mean, the wind's got us turned backwards and, and we're just all upside down. He says, I just want you to remember that coming or going, I'm with you all the way. I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm gonna sail with you and I will see you through the storm. Don't be unappreciative of his presence. Then, number four, they were unthinking of his position. Now I want you to notice, they, they say it without thinking. They're like us. You know the thing I like about the disciples? I'm convinced they were independent Baptists. <laughs> I mean, you read about Peter. He had to be an independent Baptist preacher. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. I mean, he speaks before he thinks. He says a lot of dumb stuff. And Jesus loves him anyway. And ultimately, he makes something out of him. That's my hope. I, I've done a lot of the first half of Peter's life. I'm hoping I get to the second half of Peter's life. But I'm glad to know that even though I'm a mess up, a lot of times I'm glad to know that Jesus still loves me and that he can use me if I'll let him. You know, that should give us hope, should it not? Well, these disciples, here they are, and, and they're going to say the right thing, but they're not going to think it in their heart. By the way, aren't we guilty of that? I mean, we, we stand up and we'll sing songs and, and we say all the right words, but we really don't think about it and mean it from our heart. And here, here they are. Here's what they're going to say. Notice. They say unto him, verse number 38, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, who did they call him? Master. If he is master, that means he's over everything. And they called him Master. In fact, he said this, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And as master, if I recognize his position as master, that means he is over everything in my life. That means really he is in control of my conduct. You say, why do you live the way you live? Because the master has told me to live. I'm his servant. I follow his direction. I'm going to live the way that he tells me to live. He's the master of my conversation. You say, why do you use the language you use? Because the master has given me guidelines for my conversation. You say, uh, he's the master of what else? He's the master of my company. I hang out with the crowd I hang out with because the master has given me criteria of who, you know, it says, uh, make no friendship with an angry man. Well, guess what? The master's told me somebody is just all the time flying off the handle, can't control it. I'm not supposed to hang out with that crowd. Why? Because I may wind up being like them. You parents know what that's like, don't you? You see your kids getting friends with somebody and you say, ah, man, I've got to break this up. I've got to stop this because this is not good. They're going to lead my kid down the wrong pathway. And that's exactly what the Lord does for us. Well, he's master of everything. 
He's a master of my uh, conduct. He's a master of my conversation. He's a master of my company. He's a master of my clothing. He's a master of my career. And by the way, he's a master of my circumstances. That means he gets to choose what I go through. Now, if you ask me, I mean, if he sent down, you know, a, an information sheet. Now, Brother Bertram, just fill this out. And, and whatever, you, whatever you put on there, that's what I'm going to give you. I'd be like, every day, you know, 78 degrees. Every night, you know, 46. Uh, you know, every time I check the bank account, plenty of money. Yeah, I, I, I would make life all a bed of roses, would not you? I mean, that's what we would want, right? But I'm not the master of my circumstances. I don't get to choose. But there is a master, one who does all things well. And even though perhaps I don't understand and it doesn't make sense to me, because he is my master and he is a good master, he's a benevolent master, and he knows far more than I know. Have you ever made a decision and your kids don't like the decision that you made? <laughs> but because you know more than they know, you know that's the best decision, even though they don't like it. He knows much more than we know. And sometimes he makes decisions that we don't like. But here's what we have to do. We have to trust him and understand that he knows what is best. And he's working all things for our good. Well, they were fearful because they were unmindful of his promise. They were unconsidering of his power. They were unappreciative of his presence. They were unthinking of his position. But I think here's where we really mess up. They were unaware of his plan. Now, we finished our reading in verse number 40. But you know, that's not the end of the chapter. And by the way, that's not the end of the story. Listen, as we pick up our reading, verse number 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came over into the other side of the sea, unto the, uh, the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. Fetters had been broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with the stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? He answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he sought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nine to the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. All the devils besought him saying, send us unto the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. The unclean spirits went out, entered into the swine. The herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. About 2,000 were choked in the sea. They that fed the swine fled, told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what that was done. <coughs> and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. See, here's what they did not understand. God had more going on that day than just their ship sailing across the sea. 
By the way, he has more going on today than just my life and just your life. We're just a small piece of the big picture. Now, the story doesn't end. We, we think the story ends at the end of chapter 4. But what is the first, ver- the first word of chapter 5 in verse 1? And. And verse number 2, and. You see, and is a conjunction that indicates a continuing narrative. Da-da-da, and, da-da-da-da-da, and, da-da-da-da. And so the story goes on. So the story doesn't end at the end of chapter 4. The story continues into chapter 5. And the storm through which these disciples traveled was actually not for their benefit, but for the benefit of somebody else who was watching. Now think about this. When the Lord sent this storm, number one, he wanted to draw attention. I can just picture it in my mind. You ever read the Bible and try to picture it in your mind? I can see, here's these disciples, they sit on this ship and and they're sailing across the sea. Over on the one side, there's this rocky mountain that goes way up high. And on the top of that mountain, there is this man. His hair is matted and greasy and long. He's got the remnants of shackles around his arms and around his feet. His body is marked by cuts, some healed and some unhealed scars. I mean, he, he reeks. He's unclean, he's filthy, he's beset by evil spirits. (coughs) The storm, the wind begins to come up. The clouds begin to roll in. The sky grows dark. And it's just on the outside like it is on the inside of his breast. I mean, as he stands there on the mountain looking that storm that rages on the outside mirrors the the storm that rages within his soul. The winds like the demonic voices howl unceasingly. The rain like the cold desolation in his bosom falls incessantly. The waves like the turmoil in his soul churns violently. The crack of the lightning and the crash of the thunder shake him just like those evil spirits do when they take hold of him. And he's up there on that mountain. He's probably watched other ships go down in the storm But this case is something different as he stands there and the rain pours off of his face. And he looks out there. In the midst of that storm, a a lightning flashes and he sees a little figure stand up on a boat. While that boat is rocking, that figure just stretches out his hands. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody has flipped a switch. The clouds roll back. The thunder ceases. The lightning ceases. The sea is as calm as a sheet of glass. And that man on that mountain sees a display of the ability of God. And here's what he says. If that man can calm that storm, I wonder if he could calm this storm on the inside. And as soon as that boat touches the sand of the seashore, here comes this madman racing to meet Jesus. You see, the truth of it is, it was not about them, but it was about somebody who was watching them go through the storm. And by the way, the storm that's shaking your life today 
It may not be about you. It may be because your neighbor or your family member or your co-worker is watching your life. And they want to see, do you have something that I don't have? Is there something in your life that will see you through the storm that I don't have to see me through my storm? I wrote these words as the disciples, they set sail with Jesus one night on dark Galilee. There rose a great mighty tempest that with fury raged on the sea. In fear they woke up the master. For us, Lord, dost thou not care? And with power and tender compassion, he stilled the storm then and there. But over up on the hillside, there stood a poor troubled man who watched it all in amazement as he saw the Savior's great hand. Just like those dark troubled waters, a storm it raged deep in his soul. His days a sad tragic story for the devils his life they controlled. But when he saw that man steal the waters that raged on the storm-tossed sea, he decided to run down and meet him. Perhaps he can bring peace to me. And you know the rest of the story, how Jesus made the devils depart, how he clothed that poor troubled soul and gave him a brand new start. And maybe today in your own life, you sail o'er a storm-troubled sea, Deep in your heart you may question, Lord, carest thou not for me? But you know not the rest of the story. There's someone who's watching you sail. They're wondering if you're going to make it or if you will flounder and fail. Ah, but on board your ship is the master who controls the wind and the waves. Right now you're just where he wants you. Don't panic and jump ship today. You see, he knows the rest of the story. How someone who's watching must see that the one who rides in your vessel can calm this life's troubled sea. Just trust in his great love and power. At the right moment, he'll calm the storm. Though the billows may crash all around you, the master will keep you from harm. Remember that someone is watching. So do your best not to fail. For when you know the rest of the story, you'll say he did everything well. I don't know what storm you're in this morning, but I do know this. You have his promise. You have his presence. You know his power. And he has a plan that he's working. And it may be that he's using your life to reach the life of someone else. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I wonder how many folks would be here this morning. You'd say, Brother Bertram, today, if I were to die right now where I sit, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is my home. I could give you a Bible reason if you were to ask me. I know that I know that I know that I have been born again. I'm not ashamed of that. Would you slip up your hand and say, I know that. Just slip it up, but right back down. No one's looking. Thank you. I see those hands. I wonder this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be someone here? And you'd be honest. You'd say, Brother Bertram, I couldn't tell you that. I do not know for sure where I'd spend eternity. I, I don't want to die and go to hell. But I just couldn't tell you for sure that I know I'm going to heaven. I, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to try to drag you to an altar. I'm not going to mention your name if I know it. 
I just simply want to pray for you if you're concerned about where you'd spend eternity. Would you say, Brother Bertram, I'm just not sure. Would you pray for me today? Would you slip your hand up, put it right back down? Would there be someone here this morning? Just slip it up, put it right back down. Brother Bertram, pray for me. I'm just not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Then I wonder this morning how many would be here and you'd say, Brother Bertram, I lifted my hand. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But I'm going through a storm today. There's a difficulty in my life. Not something I want, but something God has brought this way. Maybe a physical situation, maybe a family situation, maybe a job, career. You say, preacher, would you pray for me that I'll allow God to have his way in the storm of my life, that I'll just trust him, knowing that he does all things well, and that my testimony will shine the light of the truth of the power of God to those who know not Christ who live and work around me. You say, preacher, would you pray for me this morning? Just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Thank you, I see those hands all over this room. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to have a word of prayer. The pianist is going to begin to play. The altar is open. If you need to come and pray and ask the Lord for help and strength, you can do that this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people who have listened to so attentively. Thank you for your word that speaks to our heart. And Lord, I think of those who lifted their hand and said, pray for me. I'm going through a storm. Lord, I pray that just like the storm that these disciples sailed through became the light that shone the truth to this poor man who was so besieged by these devils. It came the, became the catalyst that brought him to faith in Christ. I pray that you would cause the storm that these folks are going through to be that catalyst to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that might be here this morning that do not know for sure they're on their way to heaven. I pray that they'd get it settled before it's everlasting too late. Most of all, we pray that you'd have your will and way in every life and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the pianist begins to play, the altar is open. Maybe you're sailing through a storm and you just want to come and say, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me not to be fearful. Help me to trust you. Help me to understand that you have a plan, you have a purpose, and help me to be the light that would point men and women to Christ as the answer. If you're here this morning, do not know for sure you're on your way to heaven, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how the Bible says you can know for sure. Not what the Baptist church says, not what I think, but what the Word of God says so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is your home. As we wait for just a moment, if God has spoken to your heart, you'll be obedient to him. says only trust him only trust him it's the only way we can sail over life's troubled seas and have peace and the absence of fear is if we trust 
the master. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. I trust the Lord has spoken to our hearts. I trust we'll carry this message with us and then put it into practice in our life as we go throughout the week. I want to encourage you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock for the service. Looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. And then, of course, the business meeting following the service tonight. Brother Matchett, will you come and dismiss us in a word of prayer this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time being in your house. Lord, we thank you for the message, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would apply it to our life and we would remember that the storms as we go through them, you're there with us and there's a purpose for them storms. Lord, I pray if there's one here that's not saved, before they leave out through these doors, they would seek somebody out to show them how to get saved. Lord, I just pray you'd give us safety as we travel to our houses. Bring us back tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.